0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Among its duties, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration monitors the populations and health of ocean species, including whales and various seals in the polar regions. With how they do it, and aided by some artificial intelligence, we have zoologist Aaron Moreland. Aaron, good to have you on. Thanks for having me, Tom. And marine mammal lab affiliate scientist Manuel Castellote. Manuel, good to have you on. All right. It's good to have you both on. Let's talk about first, well, Aaron, we'll start with you on the seals. Tell us about the project in the first place, where the seals are and why monitoring them is important.
2: Well, we are charged with monitoring the populations of protected species in the ocean. And our lab in particular is responsible for pinniped species in Alaska, and particularly the true seals, which are the Ringed, bearded, spotted, ribbon seals, and harbor seals that live in Alaskan waters. And four of those species are associated with sea ice. So they use sea ice as a platform to have their pups and nurse their pups and go through an annual molt cycle where they replace the top layer of skin and fur.
1: So the implication is that as ice may shrink, then it may affect those populations.
2: Yes, there's various human activities that can have inadvertent impacts to other animals on the planet. So our responsibility is to calculate the abundance of those species and then track those population trends over time to see if, sure, um, how, if, you know if population is increasing and they're doing well or if they're declining over time.
1: And Manuel, you count the whales. Uh, tell us about that project.
0: Yeah, well, we basically are monitoring where the whales are, um, in particular, beluga whales, and is, um, from the several populations we have in Alaska, there's one in Inlet, which is a big one in front of Anchorage, that they are endangered and they're declining. So there's a lot of efforts to try to understand why they're declining and how can we mitigate or reduce the impacts to allow this population to recover. So we don't really count. What we're doing is we are using acoustics so or using recorders that we deploy in the water and they record sound. And then we listen for these animals to know where they are based on the sounds they make and also what behaviors we can identify by the sounds. So, you know, we can describe if they're feeding or passing through or just resting in those areas. So we basically use a very time-consuming type of methodology, which is, you know, going through lots and lots of recordings uh, throughout the year to understand how they use this habitat.
1: And Aaron, do you also use the sonar type of uh, technique or do you fly over and count them? How do you count the seals?
2: Yeah, we actually conduct um really broad scale aerial surveys over the frozen sea and we do this from fixed wing aircraft, generally propeller twin prop aircraft that are fitted with extra gas to make it all the way out and back. We fly at about a thousand feet, and we use an array of various cameras. We use machine vision cameras and thermal imagers, and we're now adding ultraviolet cameras to our system. And these animals are all pretty spread out. They don't really clump up into big, you know, clusters of like you see with walrus or sea lions. So we'll collect in a season about a million sets of images and in those we'll have a few thousand animals.
1: We're speaking with Erin Moreland. She's a zoologist and Manuel Castayote. He's a marine mammal lab affiliate scientist both at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So tell us about how artificial intelligence helps with these efforts, because it sounds like you have pretty well-developed technology to count these animals, but I guess you get some false positives or false negatives, or tell us about that. Manuel?
0: Yes. So basically, our main methodology, our main approach is we go out in the ocean, we deploy these um, basically sand recorders that are waterproof, so they stay underwater, and then uh, six to eight months later, we come back and recover them. And so it's a long period because we basically cover the summer, which is you know May to October, November, and then the winter, where the ice comes in, we can no longer do any work in the ocean. So we deploy the moorings before the ice comes in, and we wait for the ice to melt to go back and recover. So we get two long deployments per year, which, based on the current project, that we are covering cooking that, which is, in you know, a big, big estuary, we get about 8 or 10 terabytes of, of recordings per season. And so that's uh, many months of um, manual analysis to have to go through these recordings, listening, trying to identify those signals from the whales and then trying to figure out what they're doing. So with machine learning, what we have been able to do is really accelerate and make much more efficient that process of listening for signals. Basically, the computer is doing it for us. So, the the models that we are running that uh, were developed for this particular task of listening for for blue signals are basically going through the recordings and identifying where in those recordings we find specific calls and whistles and then basically before we, you know, b- the way we were doing this before was having to open each of these files and confirm and validate those were actually whales and not all the sounds. that could be ice noise or a vessel passing by. But with this new approach uh, because it's a smart uh, type of analysis, we don't really need to validate those detections. So as soon as we get detections, we know based on a scoring uh, that, that the model is providing if those detections are really believe us or not. And so that for us is a huge step forward in how we analyze that and how, how much time we need to put in to analyze every time we record. You know, recover this morning. So it has really helped in reducing the amount of time that we have to sit in front of a screen going through you know these, these recordings and understanding what do we detect.
1: So basically the recordings are interpreted for you by the machine before you pull them out of the ocean.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's how we were to put it. I mean, there is, there is quite a bit of work before we could get to these levels. You know, we had to basically train those models, make sure that we have enough recordings already processed by hand, and kind of make sure that the, the model could recognize what a beluga sound looks like compared to other signals. Because obviously, there's other animals are doing sounds and different vocalizations in the ocean, so we had to make sure that the training of these models were, you know, was, was accurate enough for us to be able to trust it. But once we did that, then you know, we come up with a tool that really speeds up the analysis in, in an incredible amount of I mean, just to give you an example, 8 months deployment would take us uh, over 10 days to analyze You know, based on the current methods, with this machine learning approach, we do that overnight. So it's really, really fast and much more improved methodology.
1: And Aaron, when you fly in an airplane, even at a 1,000 feet, which is pretty low, I guess it's tough to tell the blobs of, I don't know, seaweed from the seals. And so how does AI help in your efforts?
2: Yeah, so from 1,000 feet, it's actually a bit challenging to identify species looking out the window, but that higher altitude and faster airspeed that we can fly using cameras allows us to better cover the habitat for these animals. But then we're left with millions of images that would take a really long time to review manually. We started with uh, looking at the thermal data, looking for temperature spikes to find animals, and that still took a really long time and didn't work for all species, then we were using a more general blob detector on the thermal imaging to find animals. But we still had really high false positive rates, about over 300,000 blobs that were, were not animals. So being able to implement artificial intelligence and actually train deep learning models to find exactly what we're looking for provides an opportunity for us to to cut through a lot of that noise, a lot of that interference from dirty ice, melt pools, um, even reflection from the sun on a sunny day. So AI is really bringing us to a place where we can have our data for the abundance estimation analysis in a much more timely fashion than we've been able to since we've moved to instrument-based surveys.
1: And getting faster and more accurate counts for recent flights or recent recordings, is there some kind of a factor that you can apply to previous expeditions such that you can update them to be more accurate than what you might have been able to count earlier?
2: You know, we haven't actually done, we haven't been able to do a true comparison to pre- previous to this, this approach Aerial surveys were conducted for animals with observers looking out the window. And, and for that, you had to fly at about 400 feet. And we haven't gone back to that methodology for a true comparison. But what we have done is looked at how accurate humans are in reviewing images for ice associated seal species and identifying those species. And we find that humans, when they review color imagery and look for animals, they find about 80% of what's there. And our AI methods find over 90% of the animals that we know are in those images.
1: And Manuel?
0: Yeah, so it's uh, similar to Erin's project. In our case with sound, what we're finding is humans are actually very, very good. I mean, we are wired to listen and to see. And so the way we analyze our data is we represent the sounds in a figure that is called a spectrogram. And so we're going through spectrogram windows, like like passing pages of a book, so each page will be a different spectrum of several minutes of data. So our eyes and our ears are very good at picking those signals. The hard part is the amount of time it takes. So what we can really do with this uh, new approach with artificial intelligence is that we can basically run you know, a system that would do the same, but very similar uh, efficiency as, as a human going through those pages of spectrograms. And furthermore, what we're finding is that we are able to find some very subtle, very faint signals that are easy to miss. The scoring we get with machine learning is, is pretty high. So even if the signal is faint, it's almost the same sound level as the background noise, where the whistle or the call will be merged with the noise in the background, so it will be hard to see or to hear. To hear. The, the model is able to catch those little details out of those uh, spectrum images. And so it's becoming a very accurate way to you know, analyze all these data in a much faster way. So. Similar to Erin, we haven't really gone back retrospectively and reanalyzed data from the past. The, the project we are running is a multi-year project where we need to be able to compare when and where we detect pelugas across years to see if there's been a shift. Like, for example, if they're building a new harbor or there's a new shipping lane uh, to redesign in an area where there's a lot of traffic we need to make sure that there is not going to be an impact on belugas, and so we need to be able to compare across years. And so that basically limits us to move to a new way of analyzing data. So we need to maintain basically the same level of accuracy across years to be able to compare those data sets. So the the approach of doing with machine learning right now is it's really helping us to speed up the analysis, but the detectability, so the the signals that we were missing before we need to keep missing those signals, which is a bit counterintuitive. It's a bit weird to think that we don't want to improve the way we detect the signals, you know, because we need to be able to compare across years. But as soon as we're finishing this project and we'll start with a new project in another location, then we'll jump to a new approach, which is using machine learning completely you know, through analysis. So we will basically come up with a, a higher level of uh, detectability or, or be sure. precise detecting those signals. So, yeah, it's a bit strange, because you know, we, we don't want to improve... Uh, or we want to keep missing the faint signals we we're missing in the past years, because otherwise we won't be able to compare the data.
1: And there's no algorithm that will tell you what the whales are actually saying to one another, though, is there?
0: Well, you just you just nailed our next project. So one of the ideas that we are trying to discuss right now is see if we could not just detect the whales, but also try to understand if those signals are the same signals we heard in other areas. In other words, if that whale that made that sound is the same whale we heard in other areas, which would help us understand the um, basically social structure and how they are using the habitat, but also what they are doing. And as I mentioned before, we, we know there are specific sounds we can identify when they're feeding. For example, when they're chasing fish, their sonar they're using is used in a very specific way. So we can classify that type of signal as a feeding behavior. And then the output of the model would only would not only give us the presence and absence or so when and where we hear belugas, but are they feeding or not. So that's really a a step forward again in, in how we can analyze data for conservation and management.
1: Well, I think you're going to hear them say, Manuel, we know you're listening. Can you bring us some fresh salmon? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, come on, come on. Let's get quiet now. We know Manuel is here with the recorder. <laughs> Let's get quiet.
1: Manuel Castellote is a Marine Mammal Lab affiliate scientist. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. And Aaron Moreland is a zoologist. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Tom.
1: And they are both with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We'll post this interview at slash federal drive. Hear the federal drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.
2: Grab a 30 day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can
1: handle. Visit slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.